Hello, my name is Adam Eason and welcome to episode 16 of Hypnosis Weekly. Yes indeed, hello hypnosis friends and a warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. We are back. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have a star-studded show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with the hypnotherapist, psychologist and regular in the mainstream media, Felix Economakis. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis has featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Felix Economakis. This week, I shall be exploring Felix's experiences and approaches in his consulting rooms, working with people who suffer from selective eating disorder. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. This podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. Please note, I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and stance, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have great respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So first of all today is this week's interview. I'm absolutely delighted to be welcoming Felix Economakis to Hypnosis Weekly for a number of reasons. Firstly, Felix is an incredibly busy and highly sought after psychologist and hypnotherapist, so managing to get any time with him is a success in my book. Felix has starred in a number of TV shows where his work has been tested and where he has delivered results that are very impressive. Likewise, he's a fairly regular face in mainstream national newspapers, highlighting incredible success stories with a number of seemingly severe cases. I got the chance to meet and speak with Felix a little a little while back because we were both speaking at a conference, a Change Phenomena conference, and I found him to be very agreeable with a sense of humour that made me want to keep hanging out with him. We'll look at one of Felix's areas of expertise later on in this episode of Hypnosis Weekly, but for now, get comfy my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea and enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I am delighted to have with me the one and only Mr. Felix Economakis. Felix, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Thank you, Adam. Um, tell us a little bit about how you how you developed an interest in hypnosis and and hypnotherapy, and tell us about about your background and how you've arrived at at where you are now. Sure. Well, I started training off as a psychologist, and I am a psychologist, I trained in it, but mm -hmm. along the way, I came across uh, Milton Erickson's work from strategic systemic therapy, actually. Mm. Uh, I found it really novel and fascinating. So when I read some other books on my own, um, you know, Jay's books and things like that, mm. he starts talking about, and Erickson hypnotized this person then to do this and that. And then this got me intrigued, because I, previously I thought of hypnotherapy as something a bit fluffy, yeah. But I thought, well, you know, I'm really respecting what Ericsson's doing. And if it's good enough for him, it's probably good enough for me. Sure. So I thought I'd look into a, uh, a training course, hypnosis, just to see what it's all about. Um, I started off with a very uh, 
academic course, I'm afraid, in UCL that just bored the hell out of me, basically. Yeah. Um, but luckily, one of the students there had done a course uh, with another training organization. And she was telling me, you know, this is so boring and dry. This is not, you know, uh, what I learned, uh, hypnosis. I'm just here to get this official kind of uh, credibility from this organization. Mm. So I inquired into her organization. I signed up with them. I dropped out the other one. And along the way, I also came across uh, NLP as well. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's also sounds really interesting. So I trained in that too. So I really came across it from, from Ericsson and started with more classical hypnosis, um, you know, that kind of conventional kind of training. Yeah. And of course, along the way, as I did NLP, it becomes a little bit more of a more Exonian uh, hypnosis, the more indirect stuff. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you read books, you talk to people, you, you buy a DVD training set, you do a one-day workshop here, two-day workshop there, and you listen to people, and then you start adding and experimenting until you find your own approach, which is what I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I, and, and, I mean, a lot of people listening will will recognise you and, and also your reputation. Um, you know, you featured... Um, in some in some really fascinating and insightful uh, media, um, with 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 the approach was did you find that it was um, the, the the psychologist in you that that needed to come to the fore, or did you get an opportunity to to use the hypnosis in in some of that media stuff, and and you know how was it accepted and received? Um, surprisingly well. Uh, the first real media thing I did was the Panic Room, working with extreme phobias mostly animal phobias there was a fear of lifts or heights or something as well and uh there was uh there was myself another psychologist uh working that she did cbt and when i was interviewed for this work i said listen you know my, my tool of choice is hypnosis so i'm not a conventional psychologist is that okay and they said yes so right. you know i really want to make sure that I, i'm a pragmatist at heart i don't have any loyalty just for the sake of loyalty yeah um, i really use what works uh, I'm finding hypnosis works um, best, so I said I'll be using that, and they're okay with it. Um, so I used a lot of that. In fact, I was—I um, had to actually, you know, slow it down a bit because I didn't want to do something the first session because the whole thing about media is they have to build, you know, this. Jeopardy, <laughs> yeah. It, will it not work? <laughs> so you have to kind of pace it. Um, so you know, saying, you know, can you not cue them too fast? She <laughs> have to start thinking on my feet. How do I stretch this out? Yeah. Whoa, slow down. These people are getting well too soon. It's actually true. <laughs> it is, you know, the thing is that you see, you see Dave and he's terrified of this. And then sort of, you know, a day later he feels okay. Like, shall we go to the zoo and touch this thing? He's like, yeah, right. And they really <laughs> like that. They want, oh, you know, we want to see his face kind of really eyes rolling and dilated. You know, we want to see him kind of scared. Yeah. So you think, oh, well, um, Okay, let's 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 use more conventional stuff then um, until the big reveal. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, that was uh, that was always a bit difficult for the people working with because some people at then were sort of quite sort of indifferent to trying stuff. You know, yeah. you had to really um, make it quite scary with smoke and mirrors, and you know, uh, the big reveal had to be something that would get them scary. If it was just let's go to the garden and find a spider or hold a, a frog or whatever, they'd be yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they had to dramatize it. Um, the second one, Fussy Eaters, which was working with selective eating disorder, which was actually the first time I ever worked with this disorder. Um, I did a parts integration the first day. And then, mm. you know, the, the client went ahead and tried some broccoli. And then again, <laughs> the crew came out and said, sorry, can you not do that again? Because <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, okay, how do I space it out? So I did some, you know, some sort of meta uh, mirror stuff. And I did, yeah. you know, it's basically filling the time yeah. until you can do your main therapy. Yeah. Um, so that that's. Uh, that's I, 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 I love it. I love hearing this stuff because um um you, you know the, I suppose hypnosis per se, mm. doesn't necessarily make good television. It's the it's the stuff around it and the yeah. the, the backstory and the and so on. But you know, two people sat in a sat in a room fairly inanimate. Yes. Um, um, doesn't make for for all that, that, that all that much interest. Um, so I I, I I love hearing that. Um, yeah, that, sorry, that's absolutely true. And um, you know, there's a person looking very calm and chatting to them, and then they wake up feeling better. Yeah, it doesn't make for good TV. So when my family watched it, they're saying, "Where where are you doing the therapy?" So it's kind of all been edited out. 
and it's all about their backstory. So yeah. How do they know you've changed people? Well, they, they don't really. <laughs> so, you know, it was a little bit like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where's the actual change work? Um, yeah. It's not by getting them to do a bungee jump. What did you do before the bungee jump? Well, you know, I did some of this and I did some of that. Where is it? Uh, it's not shown. Um, and instead, they had me take them to a shop and or whatever, or you yeah. Know, a hill and look over the perspective and say yeah. something meaningful and they think that's the therapy yeah um, yeah it wasn't. <laughs> no so, no um yeah. so so when we when we sort of roll our sleeves up and look at hypnosis um um how do you how do you explain it you know when you're working with clients how do you explain it to your clients um, um you know do you have a, a definition that works best for you and your approach and perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how you arrived at, at such a definition felix sure um to be honest yeah, i don't i purposely avoid a definition because right. i want them to fill in the blanks yeah because if i set them up with un, one expectation they kind of test it all the time and if they don't get exactly what they expected they think it didn't work right so um, i'm artfully vague on this mm. um you know i used to start off the kind of things that i was taught in the training organization um you're still in control um it's a bit like a dream you know when you drive a car and you're not aware i used to do all that stuff and then i really don't it's i say you know have you heard of hypnosis before uh yes uh, or sorry have you ever tried hypnosis before no what do you think it'll be like so now i'm asking about their expectations to say oh i think it's going to be like a sleep then I sort of modify that. And yeah. you say, I don't know. I say, well, that's great because you're open-minded, yeah? yeah? And then I talk a little bit about, okay, look, I'm just gonna have a chat with this part of you and everyone experiences differently, you know? And some people find themselves going to light, medium or deep kind of state, you know, as I say this, and they all work, yeah? I've hypnotized yeah. some people that are fidgeting all the time and I don't think, uh, oh, I don't think they're really hypnotized and they stop smoking or they eat food or whatever. And for that matter, some people look deeply like in a coma and then they wake up and say, sorry, I'm still scared of this. So really, you can't quite tell. I don't say all of this stuff. I'm sort of saying more for your yeah. Um, listeners. Yeah. So really, I keep it vague. And along the way, I kind of use my experience to kind of gauge what's this person going through. Yeah. yeah. And what level do they feel comfortable? But really, I really emphasize, look, I just want you, let's get away from pass and fail. Because everyone thinks if I reach a magic state, everything will you know, work zombie-like without yeah. me having to do anything. And I said, Let, let's get away from that. It's not a pass or fail. I'm really negotiating with your subconscious mind about stuff. Yeah? That's I interesting. Just wanted to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So rather than give them something rigid, so some kind of rigid education, yeah. if you like, it's, it's, it's kind of more molded so that your expectations meet, but, but, exactly. but, but not excluding what their original expectations were necessarily. Exactly. That's it. Now, I also like to do a couple of suggestibility tests because, you know, I, I, I call them games and a bit of yeah. exercise and things. But that lets me gauge for it. And of course, if someone starts being really good, then you can do something quite flashy. You know, yeah. Yeah. so kind of stuff Anthony likes to do the arm uh, power lifts and stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, the James Tripp hand sticking, you know, Bob and Swan. You can, yeah. you can play with all these things. Yeah. yeah. And then they start thinking. You know, what I generally say to them is something I like from James Tripp. I'd say, so, you know, John, if if I were to ask you, are you hypnotized right now? What would you say? No, right? Because your eyes are open, you're talking to me, but your hand is stuck here or it's moving or it's doing this. So what's going on with that? So you see, this is partial hypnosis, right? I don't need full hypnosis. I can work with you this way if you feel more comfortable. But if you want to go deeper, we can do that too. So yeah. it's a little bit of working, you know, building with a process, gauging the process and um, going deeper or lighter, whatever, according to the client's, you know, feedback, basically. Yeah. If they yeah. look a bit freaked out, they start panicking. I say, it's all right, listen, we can keep at this level. Don't worry, you know. And yeah. again, you're kind of emphasizing it's not a pass or fail like you either, you know, analog, uh, digital, you either achieve this state or it's not. It's it's not like that. It's a process. Yeah? Mm. Mm. So um, I'm saying variations of this depending basically on the client. But I, I do avoid definition of hypnosis because... Um, I ask them first, and then I work with their expectation of it. Yeah. Um, so I also, I really like to diffuse um, stuff as well. Um, it, it's the elephant in the room. You know, so I say, look, to be honest with you, about one in five or six of my clients has a real problem with hypnosis. You know, they'll say, um, you know, I want to change, but what exactly are you going to do to me? Are you going to get in my head? You're going to make me see you every week for years or give you a pin number or quack or bark. You know, most people <laughs> have a bit of a laugh about that. Yeah. And, and you know, so I, I'm, I'm saying, I understand your, your fear. So don't worry, you know, um, yes, 
I think you've been a very detached, um, comfortable sleep, um, state. It's not true sleep. Um, it's, it's almost a sleep of more of the central nervous system. But if you don't want to go that deep, that's fine too. I'm kind of saying everything yeah. you do is fine. You know, yeah. there's no right or wrong. I just keep emphasizing that. I want to take away the performance anxiety, basically, from all of that. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I don't want a person saying, oh, God, is this working? Am I doing it right? Is hypnosis there yet? Am I doing it? I just want to get them away from all that. That's really interesting. Yeah, really useful for, for people listening there, some of those things. Um, yeah. um, um, Felix, tell us a little bit about, about, about you know, the work that's influenced you. Um, um, obviously, you've, you've made some reference to Ericsson and to NLP. Um, um, who are your major influences in this field? And perhaps you could just tell us some of, the, some of the books and authors that have taught you the most, and perhaps even some of the teachers who have been the most influential upon you, and perhaps um, the reasons why as well. Sure. Um, to be honest, I've changed the way I've done hypnosis several times in my life. Right. So um, I think a big breakthrough for me came actually when I joined. Um, well, breakthrough number one came when I saw um, Bandler doing some stuff on a DVD training set. Yeah. You know, I was working at the NHS at the time. I have some clients. And I thought I've got nothing to lose. So I said to them, would you like to try something? I'm just training in something. And I tried some of his very quick, rapid inductions. And they seemed to be working quite well. Yeah. I thought, okay, you know what? I can't be bothered with these long progressive relaxations. I'm going to keep doing these things more. They're more flashy, they're more yeah. dramatic. And also they seem to cut the chase. Yeah. Then my next major influence was actually, I mean, I'm, look, I'm reading books, and, but they don't, they don't necessarily, they're all contradictory and they don't really don't have anything new so far yeah. and then i join a facebook forum yeah yeah and i start speaking with people who also have stage hypnosis experience mm. and this is what was the next major breakthrough for me because i you know at heart i work hard so i can be lazy so i can do the minimum work yeah so i want to know look what's the minimum work i can do all the time you know to spare myself some energy and they're talking about this and that and why bother with long convoluted metaphors when you can do this and that so i I looked into a couple of people, you know them, they're all the, the big names. It's uh, John Chase, Barry Thane, Bob Burns, um, James Tripp, Anthony Jacqueline. I sort of trained with all of them. Yeah. And you begin to think, you know what, this can be a lot quicker. And as I experiment more and more, and I get more and more confident about being direct, I, I'm now mostly direct, um, using just direct suggestions. Yeah. Okay, you know, w with, with using a lot of NLP, um, ambiguous phrasing and all the other things thrown in as well, you know, just to sort of um, wrong foot the client here and there. But a lot, a lot of it is the confidence to just go for the change half the time. Yeah. Um, you know, Adam, I, I see people putting up proud video clips, you know, here's me um, with a phobia and 45 minutes later, she's fine. I'm doing that in a third of the time. Yeah. Mm. Um, because it's the confidence of doing it a lot and a lot. You just go and ask for the changes all the time. Mm. Um, so that's it. It, it. it really helps that I see a lot of people because that's exposure. It desensitizes you. I've got no problem working with three yeah. members watching. Um, I do that quite a lot, family members watching. I've got no problem, you know, if a person's quite pessimistic or cynical or uh, whatever the case may be, because there's a confidence in you that says, well, you know, so what? That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, and that that confidence, you know, when, you, when you're doing rapid inductions and you're speaking yeah. plainly and that confidence... I think also um, um, is picked up on by the client and when they perceive you in a credible fashion and when they perceive yeah. the, the therapist as, you know, um, it feels like, you know, I, I'm in good hands here, you know, or, or this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, um, this guy's familiar with this territory. Um, um, I, I think, you know, that ends up being quite client centred yeah. because, you know, that their belief in you is going to advance the efficacy of the treatment, right? That's absolutely, you know, for all I know, that's a placebo, because if I'm acting, I'm very confident. And, you know, a girl said to me the other day, 24 years old, I'm sort of a bit skeptical of this. Yeah. You know, and I just smiled and said, yeah, that's what a lot of people say. We did the treatment. She ends up eating food at the end. And as she's eating, I say, are you still skeptical? She says, yeah, a little bit. I said, well, you just <laughs> keep being skeptical while you eat your banana. You know, yeah. it's just a little bit of fun. <laughs> you know, we have a little bit of fun as she's doing this. Um because it doesn't phase me. And that's the thing. If your conviction is stronger than the client's, 
I think you default to the stronger. <laughs> it's like you know, um, yeah. what's the principle of physics? Where it's like osmosis. You go to the the more the. the uh, no, it's not that. It's something else. Well, you basically default to the stronger yeah. polarity or something. Yeah. Like that. Or where where where, where two mo emotions collide, the stronger will prevail. Um, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, um, um, for people listening, especially newly qualified people listening, um, um, there that 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 is some real major value there. I think. This idea of, you know, sometimes some of the, the therapeutic decisions that you make might not always be the best. But yeah. if, if your belief is invested in what you yes. are doing and that's perceived by the client, you know, that that has therapeutic value. Um, and I think that's really useful for people to hear from from someone such as yourself. Um, yeah. um, so. Um, obviously, you've seen and witnessed and, and lots of some of the some of the really impressive stuff you do um has been has been on television and yeah. has been in really major um um media outlets yeah. um so you, you've seen a bit out there um what, what have been some of the more or, or or the most impressive application of hypnosis that you've that you've directly witnessed um you know what adam I'm, i really want to do more out there stuff yeah um it, it's a shame because there's like one person that I worked a bit with multiple sclerosis and I, I just, I can't stand it. I've lost their details somehow, you know, their contact number. And then I'm looking through and I think, oh no, that's when I changed my computer and I, you know, I can't remember where I put their emails. I, I want to ask them the follow up, but I really want to do some out there stuff because I do a hell of a lot of phobias, you know, anxiety yeah. or depression, but um, it's nothing really out there that you think, wow, I, you know, I've worked with autoimmune disorders a few times and that's the thing I want to do more of. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, um, on the Change Phenomena Conference, we talk about my work with uh, breast growth. Um, yeah. And that's for me, you know, it's it's the subject is loaded. So everybody starts listening to breasts and gets all sniggery. But it really was a springboard for me to say, look, mind and body are connected in amazing ways. There's always articles coming up showing this, proving this. And this is just a demonstration or something yeah. um, where you can make changes in your body. And if you can do it for this, you can do it for something else. Absolutely. So, um it's it's just to show people are not aware of the ordinary power uh, of the mind over the body uh, and the ability to do things. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm reading a book at the moment, um, and it's all about um, how electricity can regenerate and heal stuff. It's by a biophysicist, doctor, is doing all sorts of um, unfortunate experiments with salamanders and things, and then applying them, um, currents to humans, things like that. And mm. there's things I never heard about with a young child. If they chop the tip of the finger off, it'll actually grow back. But mm. we don't really give anyone the chance to do this because we jump to suturing it back. You know, mm. there's all sorts of amazing things we don't commonly know about. And, um, you know, you've got to read the book. It's quite complicated yeah. and fascinating. And um, there's there's a lot of things I just come across that I think, why doesn't everyone know this? You know, I didn't know the brain could do this. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it can have all sorts of influence on itself that we don't know about. You know, some of the biggest um, skeptics of this are fellow hypnotherapists because they've done one or two trainings. They weren't taught that. So they think that's rubbish. Well, have yeah. you explored the field? Have you tried anything? I don't know until I try something. You know, I absolutely. Don't know absolutely. Um, I mean, you make a very, very uh, one of my big bugbears in, in with with this particular field is that people um, learn a particular way and become entrenched dogmatically in that exactly. one singular thought and defend it with such loyalty that everybody else is wrong without, you know, necessarily reading round. The, yeah. you know and, and being able to weigh up an alternative perspective it's a really good point there i also think felix that you're being quite humble and express and, and being quite, you know expressing some humility here because you know some of the stuff i've seen you do um, um and some of the stuff i've read about in newspapers you know you know you, you perhaps you've become normalized to it but you know where mm -hmm. people have only eaten you know a, a pack in a monster munch a day for 10 years or something you know yeah. obviously i'm exaggerating a bit here but um I'm, I'm you know i think that kind of stuff and the work you've done with selective eating disorder that we're going to talk about later on i think that kind of stuff is is really impressive you know um, um thank you yeah um, um it, it really is um Felix, if you if you could go back to when you started out exploring this field, um, looking yeah. at hypnosis, looking at hypnotherapy, knowing knowing what you know now, what you do today, um, would you do anything differently? You know, and if so, what? And is there any advice that the person that you are today would give the younger version of you? And would you extend that advice to hypnotherapists of today? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. 
That's a hard one. Only I say that and because I am the man who I am today and I know what I know because of that part. Of course. So yeah. if, if I take away the beginning and I jump straight to all these workshops, would I um, would I have been as wise with them or would I have been you know better and more efficient? That's yeah. a hard one to say. If if all things are equal and I could make everything more efficient, I would have um, jumped to the more direct kind of suggestions. But that also suits my personality, I have to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's basically being, you know, when I started off with hypnosis, even the teachers didn't sort of seem that that amazed by this process. It's sort of, you know, well, we'll you know we'll have a chat and say some things, and hopefully, you know, it'll sort of get better. Um, and and you know, no one was surprised when it didn't work much. Mm. At least that's the impression I remember. Whereas now I'm sort of expecting it to work, and if it doesn't. I get a little bit like, okay, well, let's go back and what's in the way? You know, yeah. I'm almost sort of surprised because I know what the body can do, the mind and body together, and I yeah. have a lot of confidence and respect in it, far more than my clients. But again, I'm sort of surprised if we don't get the results in right. some way. Yeah. And I keep checking again and again, expressing that conviction that this can work. Yeah. And if it can work, then there's still a box or two we haven't checked. So yeah. let's go back and check them. You know, I don't say, oh, well, you know, who knows? Um, I, I just want to, you know, I have this conviction myself that I know what it can do because I've done it myself. I've seen other people do it. And that stayed with me. Whereas a lot of other people, I don't think they really believe it can do that much. That there's sort of, you know, um, a lot of people I know are, are really kind of have trepidation about doing something measurable, like stopping smoking or weight loss, because, you know, it might not work and the client can measure it. Whereas with, you know, feeling better and depression, um, it's not as measurable, you know, so they feel more comfortable. Yeah. So they get nervous about, you know, putting their, you know, money where their mouth is saying, yeah, I want to stop smoking. I want to stop, you know, eating this. I want to stop eating that. Well, let's do it. It's a measurable thing. Yeah. Um, some people are nervous about that. So going back, basically, it's easier to say to your listeners what I would do that work. Number one is just please, please exposure and exposure. Practice on anyone you get. Never be afraid to not get a result. Yeah. That's really going to hold you back. Say, listen, I don't know if this is going to work or not. I'm trying something. Would you like to try and see what happens? Yeah. Because yeah. everyone gets worried about will I hypnotize them or not? Yeah. So they make it a pass or fail thing. And that puts people off trying. I think the more you try, the more you try, you just become desensitized to it. And also you're not taking all responsibility for it. Absolutely. You know, I'm always saying to people, let's see what your subconscious mind wants to do. Yeah? And if it wants to, it will. And if it doesn't, I guess it doesn't. We'll do it another way. I'm taking the pressure off me saying, listen, I know I can do this. Yeah. We just have to find out if you can do this. So let's see if your subconscious wants to play ball. Yeah. Sure. And I find it's easier to treat it as a metaphor as if it's a person rather than some mysterious abstract process, because I think they relate to that. It's almost like there's a part inside of me I want to change, but a part is still a bit defensive or reluctant. You know, people can get that. So I'm yeah. saying, well, let's see if he's up or she's up for changing at the moment and doing this thing. Oh, I think she's still, you know, a bit um, wary about things. So let me go over some of the typical things people are wary about. And I'm always aiming to diffuse things. So um, so it feels comfortable with me and says, you know, I think this guy respects my fears and he knows and he's familiar with them. So I'm going to I'm going to try this. Um, I know we're going to talk about SED afterwards, Adam, but um, what I do is actually really simple. Yeah. Uh, what makes a difference is, number one, my confidence to do it. And number two, it's the preparation. Because yeah. a lot of people would charge in with a swish pattern and a sort of submodality swap or a this or that. And, you know, you don't just barge into anything like that. You, you, you court someone, yeah? You need to seduce them a little bit. You, you need to make sure that they're happy and they're consulted and they know what they're getting into. Yeah? Mm. So mm. that's, I think, what changes my approach because I'm not kidding you, one in four of my clients or so, they've seen hypnotherapists, two hypnotherapists, an LP practitioner, cocky people on Harley Street. Oh, we'll yeah. sort this out for you soon. And then they don't, yeah? Mm. Um, it's because they don't know the process. They're all about the technique. Yeah. And for me, it's about, you know, it's the relationship that I'm building with a subconscious mind and the client. And I think once I get the relationship done and they trust me and they like me, change is quite easy. Yeah. Um, so that's very have, interesting. Yeah. That's the way I do it. You've got to have really good rapport. You've got to be liked. You've got to be trusted. And you've got to have a good technique. Yeah. And if you have all these things, you will get results where others don't. 
um, so that's that's my main that's my main thing. That's what I've been cultivating. You know, with psychology, um, that trainings help because you understand all the dynamics and relationship patterns. Um, you know, NLP is good for rapport um, and has techniques as does hypnosis. And it's all about just don't just charge in there and demand change. You know, no. how would you like it if someone came in and said, "Why don't you tidy your room? Why don't you paint your you know walls and stuff?" You know what you say back to them. You've <laughs> got to come in nicely. You've got to show respect. You've got to show consideration. Yeah. You know? you know, I was watching MasterChef the other day, and the top chefs there, they always talk about respect the food. You know, don't waste it. Use every part of it. This is a delicate food. Respect it. Be gentle. I'm sort of thinking I'm the same thing with the subconscious mind. You know, respect it. Be gentle. Considerate. Empathy. Look at it from its point of view. And as you do all these things, it starts trusting you and says, okay, I'm going to work with this guy. I didn't like the last guy. He was all bossy but I like this guy. And that's, mm. I think, what sets me apart. It's nothing dramatic and sexy. It's just knowing how to do that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, um, obviously, with your, with your background as a psychologist, you know, in order to become a psychologist, you need to know about evidence. You need to know about evidence-based yeah. procedures and so on. And sometimes the field of hypnosis, the field of NLP, yeah. is let down a little bit by perhaps... Um, um, so, some of its lack of evidence. Yeah. What, where do you stand with this? What are, you, what are your thoughts about evidence-based approaches to hypnosis, Felix? Well, you know, I, I'm with you, Adam, on this, um, because I, I know you're, you're a proponent of this. When I first started training LP and they'll say something, I would say, okay, well, that's, that sounds like a theory. How do we know this is true? You know, have you compared, contrasted, is there any research? And frustratingly, there isn't any. So while other people are buying into it and, you know, this is the way things work, obviously I'm thinking, well, I guess that's a theory. Um, so what I ended up having to do, because, you know, organizing research is laborious and it's tedious. And Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I'm left in a position where I think, well, you know, what, what do I do? Look, I don't exactly what's going on, but I'm going to test it out. I'm going to make my own theories about it. And then, you know, if I find a refinement or something, then I'll do that. So yeah. basically, I'm creating my own evidence based on my clinical feedback. Um, I'd love to do more stuff, but to be honest, organizing this kind of research and stuff is not where my passion is or my forte. I'd almost love to dump it onto someone. Um, yeah. And this was, you know, my Achilles heel when I did the Change Phenomena conference because I'm into the research and the print um, as an exploring and finding out. And I want someone else to do all this tedious work, you know. Yeah. So that's what I got mostly slated for. And, and you know, fair enough. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't the robust research a psychologist should be doing. I'm so too interested in pursuing the field and trying out different things. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes. Great. It's, great. Evidence does help all of us because it makes us look more credible. The only thing is that it's hard to measure. A lot of stuff we do. How do you measure the way I, I, I build rapport relationship? Whereas you can measure with CBT the had scale, um, you know, how a person feels before and then how they tick the boxes after. They love yeah. that, you know? So yeah. just because you can't measure the evidence doesn't mean there isn't any evidence about stuff happening. Sure. And that's my frustrating thing. I just want to find, well, there's a lot of things I do that are pertinent to this client. I might not do again. Um, yeah. And of course, every client is different. Um, so it's hard to to do general scales of, of measuring when people are so different. And, and on this point, um, Adam, my sister was was a doctor, and um, any doctor will tell you every human is incredibly different. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Even heart locations can differ quite widely. You know, and antibiotics work on some; they don't work on another. So you know, everyone's such an individual, and the same applies to hypnosis. You know, some people in direct techniques will do nothing for them. And, you know, vice versa, other people direct stuff won't do anything for them. Other people, they love metaphors. Other people hate metaphors. So the whole thing is I'm sounding a bit like all well, Ericksonians here, but it is flexibility and adaptability. Yeah. And that's really hard to measure because I'm saying I don't exactly know what I'm going to do with the next guy. Yeah. So, you know, oh, you measure two, you know, they both come in with selective eating. Yeah, but I use two different approaches, really, depending on what I felt the client was more comfortable with. So it's really hard. Um, to do a like for like comparison. Yeah, I get that. I yeah. get that. Yeah, um, yeah. So for, for me, my evidence is really, I mean, I'm fortunate in that with selective eating, it's a very measurable condition. You yeah. can either eat food at the end or you can't. 
and basically that's my that's my measure that's my evidence yeah uh no one's ever formally studied my approach but it, <laughs> my evidence is all over youtube you know yeah. about 70 it's typical yeah though. absolutely absolutely um, um so, um, and I'm going to put some. I'm going to put some links to some of the stuff that's on YouTube um, um, underneath this episode. Um, um, but tell us where, where where are some of the best places that people can go to learn more about you and your work, Felix? Sure. Well, um, I've been so busy with clients um, since the media stuff. I haven't really had time to think. Um, but I am now um, going to set up a training program. Um, it's going to be a brief thing, okay? Yeah. It's firstly I'm going to teach the preparation I do before hypnosis because that for me is is the is the deal breaker. Yeah. Um, if you get this right, hypnosis should be plain sailing. Um, so I'm I'm going to do some with that, and then I'll, I'll I'll inform you, and hopefully I'll run something next year. Yeah. Um, and then then I'll do more of the hypnosis side of it. But <clears throat> I, I would like to say to young people, young people, um, <laughs> newbies, novices that. Um, Everyone gets too fixated on hypnosis as a magical state. Once it's achieved, it's all plain sailing. Now, yeah. that will work with some great hypnotists, but what do you do with other 80% of the population? Yeah? Yeah. So they're all about the hypnosis. Hypnosis itself is actually quite easy to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and everyone's going on about which is the latest technique and this. They can all take a person to hypnosis. Work more on their relationship and the process is, is my approach. And so my training would be all about that, understanding what you're getting into. Yeah. yeah it's a bit like if you i do couples counseling if you see a couple um just going and saying well why don't you be nice and why don't you do this it's not going to work you've no. got to understand the dynamics you understand the relationship understand each person needs validation acknowledgement yeah yeah and i'm kind of doing the same thing with the conscious and subconscious as a couple i want to go in there and say you know what's their beef with each other and i understand who feels hard done by an offender and who's being judgmental and who doesn't feel acknowledged and as i sort that out beforehand when i do hypnosis I've already ticked all the boxes. You know, I've already got pre-agreement because I've ironed all that out. Yeah. So for me, that's the real thing that sets me apart. And I, I will hopefully be running this next year. Great, uh, great, one, great. I think there'll be lots of people that'll be interested in hearing more about that. Um, um, for now, Felix, thank you ever so much. That's really interesting. Some fascinating information that you're sharing there. And we'll Pleasure. be back with you in just a few minutes. Okay, thank you. Thoroughly enjoyed that interview. Really lovely guy, Felix. Now then, let's have a look at this week's hypnosis in the news, which this week is dedicated to stories that Felix has featured in. So firstly, I thought I'd mention something that I saw Felix lecture about. Um, um, it's an article entitled the hypno boob job. I went up three cup sizes after seeing a hypnotist. And um, as this Daily Mail story suggests, Felix worked with a lady named Ashley for three sessions and her breast size was increased by three cups. The before and after pictures are really impressive. I know when I saw Felix present this information, a couple of people in the audience objected in some part to this application. However, every person that I spoke to at the same event found it really impressive. Now, for me, it's not about the breasts, okay? It's about the notion that the mind is capable of affecting the body. As Felix is quoted as saying in the article, the mind basically controls the body, and if you know how to work with the mind, you can get it to make changes in the body. We know emotions affect the body. When people get stressed, they get headaches, for example. Using hypnosis, I can work directly with the mind. I speak to the part that controls hormones to encourage growth. That's the end of the quote. And I find this fascinating. I mean, it is fascinating, isn't it? Of course, I'd love to see formal studies conducted on this before I shout hallelujah about it. But I've seen several of Felix's case studies presented and the results were universally impressive despite not necessarily being conducted under laboratory conditions. Um, it's really interesting stuff. The final two stories that I wanted to mention are directly related to today's professional discussion with Felix that's coming up. Well, we're going to be exploring his approach to selective eating disorders. I think that Felix is quite humble, um, at least that, that's been my experience of him, and I thought it would help to put some of today's discussion with him into some context. The first of these stories is entitled 
teenager addicted to ready-salted crisps manages to kick the habit. And it tells of a teenager, James Duckworth, who was eating 40 bags of crisps a week and sought out the help of hypnotherapy. He'd suffered from a selective eating disorder for 10 years. He'd eat ready-salted crisps washed down with pints of lemonade and ate very little else. He spent two hours with Felix Economakis and started eating new foods for the first time. Um, our second story of this ilk is entitled Woman Who Eats Nothing But Chips Finally Enjoys Her First Proper Meal After Hypnosis. And I've referred to this previously. Hannah Little ate chips every day since she was five and suffered from selective eating disorder. I must say, when I read those headlines, you know, I expect to see photos of emaciated, sickly looking individuals with bald patches on their heads, teeth falling out and very bad skin. At the very least, um, that's, what I, that's what I kind of expect. Yet both Hannah and James in the previous story look remarkably well. And I find that, you know, that the human capacity to adapt to such is simply amazing. Um, nonetheless, Hannah feared eating other foods and could not eat anything when she was out with friends or family. She even tells of a story uh, whereby she went on a date to a boyfriend's house who she'd not told about her selective eating disorder and the mother um, of the boy had made a pasta bake and Hannah pretended that she had an allergy to tomato sauce. Ah! After a single session with Felix, she ate pizza, her first meal in over a decade. Hannah spent an hour with Felix and went on to eat many other kinds of food. There's even a photo of her yumming down some salad, um, which I think is brilliant stuff. Uh, you can go and track down many other mainstream media articles where Felix has featured. Uh, there's plenty of them out there and they make for some very good, impressive and enjoyable reading. Links to all these stories are listed under this week's podcast entry on www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up then, we have this week's professional discussion. As I've been saying, Felix Economakis has worked extensively with people suffering from selective eating disorders. He starred in the BBC TV show Freaky Eaters, working with some of the seemingly most chronic eating disorders that I've ever encountered. I wanted to find out a bit more about what selective eating disorder actually is and how it affects people and importantly um, how hypnotherapy can actually help in the way in which you know it, it does. I think you'll find this week's discussion very insightful with lots of very useful information to use and explore further in your professional work especially if you're a therapist. Over to that. <music> I'm back now with Felix and um, we're going to be talking about and I want to ask uh, Felix about selective eating disorder as I've been discussing you know some of the media the really impressive media that um, um, Felix has been involved in has, has addressed some really severe um, um, or seemingly severe uh, uh, selective eating disorders that people have had. Felix, first of all, can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, for people that are in the dark with regards to this, can you tell us a little bit about what it actually is? What, 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 is, what does it mean when someone's got a selective eating disorder? Uh, well, there's different kinds of selective eating. It really means there's a kind of phobia around food. So people will only um, select to eat certain foods. And it really can be as severe as I just have croissants and French fries. You know, yeah. it really can be that. And, I've heard this kind of stuff a lot and I'm looking at the mother of the person who says that and I say anything else she says not really and I'm really thinking how are you even alive <laughs> that's another thing that that sort of puzzles me some people say yeah I basically jam sandwiches and some crisps and I'm not kidding you know sometimes yeah. that's all they eat and I'm just thinking but you, you surely can't even be alive are you kidding <laughs> me but you know that the sort of mum backs it up yeah. and even straight more strange than that is some of these people have really good figures <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay they're all young fair enough 19 20 21 i haven't really seen a 35 year old this way but you kind of wonder how do you look the way you do eating what you do i just don't get the human body this is again the human body surprising you yeah anyway back to the topic selective eating the i've seen about 600 plus people for it yeah um the most common version is a phobia version so something happened they choked they had an unrelated uh, illness gastroenteritis norovirus tonsillitis 
that threw them off their food. Yeah. yeah. So basically, we're all trained in some kind of phobia work. The phobia kind of technique will work for that. A bit harder is sensory processing disorder version of it. That means that um, the actual senses about the taste of food are too intense. Yeah. Yeah. And I say it's a bit like my favorite song is playing on the radio. It's pleasant, right? But if it's turned up full volume, now it's painful. I, now I need to reduce the intensity. Mm. So what I do for that um, is, as you've seen on stage hypnosis, people are eating a raw onion, thinking it's an apple, or drinking vinegar, thinking it's Coke. I see. I'm gonna, you know, work with changing your sensory perception about that. Wow. It's a little bit harder. It's not as, um, you know, as as a given as the other trauma-based yeah. phobia work. But you know, we know there's a lot of leeway for for change there. So let's try that. A third version is to do with family dynamics. This is usually younger people or basically people who need to grow up. Um, They're still doing defiance. They're still doing attention seeking or positional um, uh, reflexes. They're doing a lot of things which are basically saying, I want this to be this way and I like everyone running around me and I like the attention and, you know, I like punishing you back and I like this and I like that. Interesting. So when you see, or, or, or basically, it, it's a big sort of finger back to people who are trying to control them too much and fussing and interfering. It's kind yeah. of saying, I'm going to frustrate you. Yeah. So um, sometimes you need to branch out into a little bit of uh, family therapy for that yeah. aspect. Yeah. Um, but the most common one, at least so far in my experience, is the classic phobia version of it. Yeah. Uh, it's sometimes mislabeled as neophobia, fear of the new. Yeah. Well, that's misleading because they don't have a, a fear of new cars, new games, new relationships. They just got it with food. Yeah? Yes. Um, so it's mostly um, a phobia around food. So people classify in their minds some foods are safe and will not hurt me and other foods could hurt me. So avoid them. Yeah. 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 We pursue pleasure. We avoid pain. So um, that's in a nutshell what I think it is. It's actually called um, ARFID. Avoidant restrictive food intake disorders being classified, reclassified in the DSM-5, just so you know. Yeah. But SED is so much easier to say, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> I, I, I learned, I learned some some new stuff today. That's good. Um, yeah. um, now, I mean, when someone, I, I don't know for sure because I don't have huge amount of um, experience with with this. You know, my my own personal experience is is quite limited. Sure. Um, um, but but my experience, hypnotherapy hasn't necessarily been first choice, the first choice, uh, or, or even the first place that they've they've come with regards to to overcoming this kind of a disorder. Can you give us some kind of an idea? You know, traditionally, um, um, what kind of what kind of thing does the doctor suggest people do? What kind of things you know traditionally depend? What what avenues do people sure. go down? And and do people typically try something else before they come and see you? Um, Pretty much. Um, there's two different kind of client groups here. We're talking about young children and adults. Yeah. Pretty much, if you're a child, you go to a GP, they'll refer you to some kind of CAMS um, or, you know, uh, an eating disorders unit. Now, the funny thing about eating disorders is, I think selective eating is terribly common, and they only cater for basic anorexia and bulimia. And I've had a lot of parents say we went there and they just didn't know what to do. You know, they said, well, come back if, you know, they're anorexic about it. Um, They're actually clueless and here a specialist eating disorder. So there's a lot of frustration with parents saying, you know, we go to Great Ormond Street, we've been referred here. And, you know, they're saying make funny faces out of food and give them stars and stuff, you know, old kind of old school behavioral stuff that doesn't work for a phobia. Um, So there's been no end of testimonials. People saying, you know, for years I've seen psychiatrists, psychologists, we've been to camps, we've been local eating disorders and no one's helped. And then this did. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of people, then we come to adults. A lot of people have thought I'm too embarrassed by this. Um, I was told my GP who grow out of it. I never did. So I gave up. And then I saw you in the media. So now I'm trying this. So a lot of them have almost were resigned to it. Yeah. So um, I'm incredibly uh, grateful and happy to hear that. You know, the media, as much as I (laughs) I complain about it from time to time, it's really helped hundreds of people who otherwise would have just been resigned to it. Absolutely. that's just been great. So it's not the first port of call until people heard about the media work for, yeah. for most people. But I think that probably applies across the board because everyone, you know, it's hypnosis is a last resort. It's a bit fluffy and new agey for a lot of people because unfortunately a lot of hypnotherapists do practice it in that way. 
you know, yeah. if you see in a clinic, it's along with Indian head massage and hypnosis and counseling, you know, this should be at the top there, yeah. um, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. um, as the most effective thing we know about. So um, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to promote that, uh, that I'm a psychologist. I have no bones about, I go straight for hypnosis when I do change work. It's the best thing I know about. Um, yeah. I'm happy to say that. Yeah. What what was the other question? So yeah, do, yeah. Do well, what, no, I mean, what, what I was just, um, what I was just, I mean, I was just talking about, you know, what what kind of things happen traditionally and and the kind of direction that people go in typically. Um, um, one of the things that that absolutely because you know I, I comment a lot on media, um, the way the media portrays, um, hypnosis and so on. But I think, um, um, you know, with you in particular, the the, the question probably as, as quite a different answer because a lot of people would consider going to see you as their first choice and the first thing they want to do because they would have seen the kind of success yeah. in the media that you've had and on the television and so on um, exactly. um and, and and absolutely would consider going to you rather than you just being a last resort as yeah. a lot of more kind of provincial lesser known hypnotherapists might encounter yeah um, um in, in in very general terms then felix how can how can hypnotherapy help with, with these kinds of disorders? Well, um, when I mentioned earlier that I'm going to do my training, yeah. it's all for me is the preparation. My hypnosis, the change work side of it, Adam, is actually about 10 minutes long. Right, yeah. yeah. Everyone thinks I need a super deep hypnosis to convince a person. I don't. Um, the majority of my session is spending the preparation, building collaboration, making sure everyone's happy to do the changes. Then yeah. I go and make the change or I ask for the changes. So I will be teaching this. It's quite hard to explain in, in a podcast because, you know, you speak about one thing, you've got to speak about another thing. And before you know, we'll need yeah. to speak for a couple of hours yeah. um, to, to cover the scope of things. Of course. But that's, that's the way I, I, I do my particular therapy. Yeah. I, want, I want to listen. I want to know what's going on. I want to understand the dynamics. I want to make sure everyone's happy. And so when we come to it, it's basically okay yeah we're yeah. all agreed shall we go ahead and make the changes anyone still got a problem and i keep checking is everyone still okay to proceed is everyone here and then i just go ahead and you know ask for them great so it's that simple um i'm interested in this idea of being really diligent in the setup and yeah. and the preparation and and framing and so on and then kind of you know that the support that they get afterwards and and any kind of skills or whatever uh, whatever happens afterwards but then that actually you know that the, the, the hypnosis is 10 minutes um yeah. um you know i think i think when when people have a certain type of expectation and a certain kind of um, um yeah. you, you know and, and have a good relationship with you then yeah. you know do we necessarily need much more than that um i don't um, i don't think so i think you know so sorry another thing that makes me supremely confident about this is that i think it's going to change even if they're not hypnotized yeah mm. so i think i think it's a rapid induction stuff gets them to a kind of nice conducive receptive state but i think they're already pre-sold on it and i think they're pretty much going to do it absolutely. anyway absolutely you know, I, I think a part of them says you know what i'm not sure about this hypnosis but I like what you say. I'm going to do them. You sold me. And so either way, I think, well, you know, I just believe you're going to change one way or another. Um, and if you want to do it through hypnosis, you can. If you don't, you don't have to, because as we know from NLP, you can do all sorts of work outside of hypnosis and people can change. Yeah. So, you know, I've got that in the back of my head, too, saying, oh, I don't Oh, Will I hypnotize them? Will they get hypnotized? I'm kind of thinking, listen, I've done my bit. I've sold everything. It's there. It's a great case for change. So go ahead. Decide what you want. Change then. Um, and often they go, okay, <laughs> all right, then I will. Yeah. So it's really. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I... That belief that you don't need some incredible technique. You know, all all this stuff is lovely. All these rapid inductions, instant inductions, they work beautifully on, you know, good hypnotees and medium hypnotees. But a lot of people aren't. They're supremely skeptical. They're this, and I just think, well, I'm going to win them over this other way. Yeah. yeah? Yeah. Um, so, you know, and if they, they don't buy into the hypnosis, so we don't do hypnosis, so we'll do. That's not quite true. There's other ways of saying we're not doing hypnosis while you get them into hypnotic type state. So you do overcome resistances and defenses that way. But I'm pretty sure um, people have done it, you know, that, you know, with eyes open and I'm talking to them throughout um, and then they change. And I said, well, look, well, you hypnotize your eyes were open. You're shifting. You're talking to me. So you've changed. I don't know if you hypnotized or not, but basically do we even care? All we know is you're eating food. Now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's, I, I just think I'm either going to change them with hypnosis or without it. So either way, 
I feel quite good about this working. And yeah. I convince that, I portray that to the client. And um, that reassures them because they, they, of course, come in thinking, I don't think I'll be any good at hypnosis. What if I can't do it? I say, look, there's too much pressure on all this hypnosis business. You know, we can do it without hypnosis if you want. And I really want to put them at their ease. I just yeah. want to take real performance anxiety, basically. Uh, I, I really, yeah, that, that, that's something um, I wish I'd have explored a bit more when we when we talked about this earlier. This idea of um, people having performance anxiety about, you know, about their ability to be hypnotized. You know, what if what if I am what if I am the one person in all of human existence that, that can't be hypnotized, for example? You know, take that take that pressure off yourself and yeah. and, you know, go, go easy with it. Yeah. And have a you know as much as possible have a a positive progressive mindset towards it and believe in your own ability um yeah. I really like that you know being able to set people at ease um, um and, and and that results in people being more responsive in your experience yeah i mean i I say to clients, listen, you know I know people, maybe you know people they stop smoking, stop drinking, stop gambling without ever seeing a hypnotist, so how do they do it yeah, yeah. because part of them was sold on change. So are we sold on change or not? I know you can do it. And if you do it through hypnosis, great. It's nice. It's pleasant. And if you don't, well, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So there's always a sense of you're going to win anyway. Um, yeah. Another thing I'd like to advise newbies is everybody makes it about reaching this magical state of hypnosis. And I kind of think, don't worry. There's more than one way for the subconscious mind to change. It doesn't have to be the hypnosis way or it won't change. It's really just selling the idea of change to it all the time. And we know this from day to day because we change our behavior when we're more sold on one idea than another. You yeah. know, do it all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. well, why don't we do the therapy session then? So, and if we throw hypnosis into it because people expect it or they think it, then, even, then great. But, you know, NLP has really helped because everything I've done in hypnosis, I've also done outside of hypnosis. So I yeah. know it can happen either way. So take all the scare out of the hypnosis, you know. I believe your subconscious mind can change in or out of hypnosis. Yeah. Um, and let's see which version it wants. Is yeah. That's why it's the no-fail protocol. I know James Tripp has one, but this is my no-fail protocol, you know. <laughs> I don't need the hypnosis <laughs> to make the changes. Well, that's so, interesting because, you know, taking that pressure off the individual yeah. um, uh, it is, is that, that notion really appeals to me. Um, yeah. um, I like that idea. Um, um, uh, throughout the people that you've worked with, I mean, the, 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 these many hundreds of people that you've worked with for this particular issue, have there been some kind of, have there, have there been universal challenges that you've encountered? You know, is there, is there, is there a very typical kind of objection or issue or, or, or kind of problem that, that, that you typically come up against? Um, or is or, or is everybody kind of pretty much um um pretty much unique and individual? I, well, if I understand your question, I mean, the, the I'm interested things... in in the kind of challenges that that the clients present, um, and if there's anything that's kind of characteristic of a selective eating disorder. Well, um, the only challenges are that occasionally I've uh, worked with somebody; they're not phobic, but they're selective; they're, they're fussy. Now, right. the difference between selective is you'd like to eat some food, but you just cannot bring yourself to, even at the risk of going to hospital and being forced by uh, and having infections, yeah? Uh, I mean, yeah, I get that, yeah. People think it's 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 a little fussy. It's not. There, there are people, you know, on the forum I belong to, people are writing about my, my son's in hospital, he's underweight, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's suffering from this pain, and he can't eat the food, he's being force-fed, and he's crying. You know, this is not a fussiness, okay? This is the system doing all it can to prevent what it believes is a is a is a danger coming in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, fussy eater can eat foods, just doesn't want to. Yeah, but if you bribe him or her enough or give him an incentive, they will. Yeah, I but see. they like to be in control and they like to not have their will thought, and they they're a bit stuck on saying no reflexively, and they've forgotten whether they really want it. They just get stuck on no. No one tells me what to do. No one tells me. They haven't considered, well, what do I really want? Do I actually want to eat it? So um, some people can go back to being fussy and some people um, just go with it. Another yeah. thing I'd like to say is I emphasize in my sessions responsibility a lot. Yes. Yeah? Put this back on the client and no one really gives me a hard time about it. And so I'm making them responsible for the results because I say, listen, the other day someone posted, oh, you know, <clears throat> nothing's really changed much. And I saw a query. I said, well, you know what? Um, eating chicken nuggets and chips is really easy. They're in the freezer. And I didn't really know what else to buy. But I know chicken nuggets and chips are easy. So I've just been eating that for three months. 
I said, yeah. well, well done. You know, you've de-skilled yourself. You haven't tried teaching, <laughs> even though you could, and now you doubt that you can. Yeah. So, and someone else said, um, Great, you know, yeah. they did a cookery course. They're learning about food every day. They're posting. I've tried three new things today. They've tried more foods than I have in my life by now. And you just think, well, it just shows you. I'm yeah. not going to, you know, it's like I give you the tools to something and you've got the freedom to do something. Now you actually got to do something with it. Yeah. Um, can't be there with you in the supermarket picking stuff and remind you to eat it. So take responsibility. If you want to be better, um, lose weight and all these other things that are troubling you, then go ahead and do it. And if you do, you'll get the benefits. And if you don't, then you won't. So make yeah. up what you want. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, th th this idea of being collaborative, you know, um, I, I think a lot of people come to hypnotherapy um, thinking that they're going to be zapped or shazammed yeah. and that they're going to be a, a, a passive recipient to it. Whereas, yeah, um, um, yeah you know, the explaining and, and, and them having and sharing the responsibility with you, yes. the therapist, um, really important point. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is and now I actually send them a little letter beforehand to say, you know, the best attitude to adopt is um, I just want to get some in my mouth and see if I can get some in. Because when it doesn't work, it's when people say, I was expecting to come here, be zapped, do nothing and magically change. And so yeah. well, if I had the ability, I'd charge you a thousand pounds. Yeah, absolutely. Thing. And then I'll change the whole world. Like that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, get real. Yeah. Um, and you and you quibble the price on that. So you, you kind of think um, it's not like that. So I'm just kind of saying it's still a collaborative thing. OK, yeah. if I mote remove the blocks in a way for you to go to the gym and you have a personal trainer your personal trainer tells you to get down and give me 50 you know she doesn't do it for you or yeah. he doesn't do it for you so you know you still got to do this stuff yeah. so you know some people need to grow up basically and take more responsibility to think some other person i give them money they're going to change me and well i give my personal trainer money you know but i need to do the work yeah so it's the same thing here um i'm, I'm getting good I've been very good for a while and making clients responsible for what I think is their responsibility yeah. and not, you know, promising too much and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll just, you know, close your eyes and let me take care of it. It's really saying you're in this too. So, you know, do your part. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if they don't, they say, well, you didn't do your part. You know, I did yeah. my part. So that's a, another confidence thing because again, newbies, they're terrified of failure. The single thing that prevents people doing more is fear of failure. And they're afraid I won't give them hypnosis, they won't have the results, I won't make them happy. You're trying to please too much. Yeah. yeah. Do your bit, lay on the line, be, know what you need to do and what they need to do, state it for them, and then do your bit and be happy that you've done your bit. And the rest is up to them. Absolutely. Oh, only a new magical technique that will make them, you know, irrefutably hypnotized every time. And that's what people are searching for, the holy grail. There's already dozens and dozens of techniques that are good, that, you know, work for most people most of the time. What do you need new ones for? Um, they work. So mm. it's not about that, <clears throat> is, you know, my feelings. Stop searching for the ultimate new induction or whatever. Just, you know, I, I do incredibly simple inductions. You know? Yeah. So, you know, you don't need to, you know, highfalutin, very complicated word games, metaphors, all that. It's all nice and simple. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, I think, easy. Yeah, I think it's really encouraging for um, for people to hear that kind of stuff um, from somebody's experiences yourself. Um, um, we're 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 out of time, um, oh, okay. um, Felix. You know, I I could speak to you all day about these subjects, <laughs> and and I I thank you so much. I know what a busy schedule you have, and yeah. um, you know, finding the time to come and be part of this. Um, um, thank you so much pleasure, for being Adam. part of Hypnosis Weekly. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Speak soon. Thoroughly enjoyed this week's discussion. Lots of very useful information there. Um, so next up, our hypnosis fact of the week. Our factoid this week is not strictly about hypnosis, but a historical precursor of hypnosis, namely mesmerism, uh, the field of animal magnetism. Way back in 1784, the Royal Commission of King Louis XVI stated that the claims made about health-enhancing properties of animal magnetism were not in and of themselves false. Rather, they actually recognised and specifically mentioned the potential for imagination and the focusing of one's attention on internal processes to effect physiological change. 
What they did challenge as a result of many experimental studies was Mesmer's claims about the mechanism by which the cures were achieved. The report did detrimentally affect Mesmer's popularity, but it was one of the first and most high-profile early demonstrations of why it's so important for major health claims to be supported by sober empiricism and research. Um, if you want a reminder of our ongoing competition, do go and listen to either episode eight or nine of Hypnosis Weekly and keep tuned um, for, for that word. Or perhaps I used it today, who knows. In our next edition, I'm delighted to be welcoming the English sisters, Violetta and Jutka Zugo. I interview them and will be examining their approach to dealing with stress management and anxiety reduction, something they've been lecturing about around the world. I have many more exciting guests here in future weeks. Um, we're going to be discussing, debating, celebrating this field, and above all, remaining friends. To repeat, all the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions, and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website, and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered, and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and anywhere else, and really help us reach the hypnosis field. Thanks go to Felix Economakis, and my thanks to you, of course, for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Thank you.